Hello everyone, and welcome to Reformed Dissenters. Thank you so much for uh, listening to us or watching us today. You may notice we got a different camera angle now. Uh, I am like on an angle and everything's going to look interesting. So yeah, that's it's going to work out. Um, we've had some technology glitches. We tried to upgrade to a new computer today, like a brand new studio computer and get all that set up, but the camera angles and everything weren't quite working out the way we wanted them to. But we are here. We're going to make it work. Quality's a little less, but I... I don't think the content quality is going to suffer because of it. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined here in the wonderful state of South Dakota with my good friend, Joseph Lasseter. Hello. <clears throat> We're also joined by my brother, Jacob Johnson, back in Pennsylvania. Hello. All right. Well, thank you all so much for watching us. Um, we want to hear from you. You know, you, you hear a lot from us. You hear our voices the entire episode, hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, hopefully, hour and a half hour and a half, uh, 15 minutes, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we want to hear your voice. We want to hear, maybe not your voice, but your voice through typing the keyboard. Send us an email. Send us a message through our um, website, trdshow.net. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can send uh, us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. Go to our website. I mentioned earlier, trdshow, trdshow.net. Share that with as many people as you can earn free merch that way is the best way to earn free merch go to that website and uh, go to our referral program go and join our newsletter there's all sorts of cool stuff on that website so <clears throat> all right our theme this month and uh, this is our last week with this theme which is sad but it's it's been a really good theme very deep topic and it's been effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us so we're kind of going to be <clears throat> talking about that especially more in the literature section when we get to that um but effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us and there are um specific ways to do that um and you know we, we've been talking about presuppositional apologetics and all that kind of stuff and we're going to get more into that as we go um but what are we going to talk about on today's episode we are back to our current events of the week back to our normal regularly scheduled program um and uh, so we're going to talk about that. Jake, Joe, and I all have current events that we are going to break down. And then also, after that, we're going to talk about the literature of the month. And this is our last week with that book. And this month, it has been uh, Dr. Greg Bonson's Always Ready. <clears throat> and you can kind of see that behind me here. Last time you're going to see that cover for a little while. We've got a lot of really exciting stuff. And really, what I want to do today, I've put a lot of thought into breaking down kind of everything we've been talking about so far, making it clear. I heard Jake is going to try and do the same thing because it's a very deep and confusing subject. And we want to make this as easy to understand as possible, but we can't oversimplify it because there's just so much there. But remembering that it, it applies to so much more than apologetics. Presuppositionalism is not just apologetics. It, it relates to <clears throat> everything, a lot of things. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, but stick around. We really want to spend some time breaking that down. <clears throat> but before we get to all of that, we have to talk about the verse of the week. So our verse this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and it says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And uh, that verse is actually the uh, one of the verses that Bonson talked about 
uh, I think it was last week, we really harped on that verse. And it was a, a rhetorical, you know, where is the wise? Where is the debater of this world, right? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, the knowledge of this world, right? Um, so we, we really broke that down last week. And so if you didn't have a chance to listen to last week's episode, definitely check that out. Um, we, we talked about some really, really deep stuff as it pertains to where is the fool or, or where, where is the debater of this world? They're nowhere to be found, right? Paul there was saying, where are they? Looking everywhere, it's like they're not here because there is no debater who can debate against Christianity, against God and his word. They don't exist. All right. Um, well, they don't exist effectively. No one who can effectively give an answer against Christianity, logically, right? Okay, there we go covered all my bases because i know we were going to get a message and they're going to be like well they do exist look this person is this person is it's like no effectively logically who can actually provide valid reasons against christianity all right so let's move into the current events and as always uh we're gonna have jacob kick off our current events segment so take it away well i'm starting off here with a current event that is kind of current but it's been going on for a while and that is the situation in ukraine and i know we haven't talked on current events in some time now (laughs) but a lot has happened with the ukrainian situation and i want kind of want to start this off because we have a little bit more information now and this this debate of who is right and who is wrong is a very hard one to understand, especially beforehand when we didn't have all the information. Mm. But now we have more information, and I want to come back to this topic. But, and and what I've come to realize, and it's kind of the, the thought that I've had for a while, and, and what I want to posit to <clears throat> this debate between who is right and who is wrong is neither of them. <laughs> okay. Because I don't think any, any of them have the right or any of them well not have the right but are in the right here Hmm. i think both have their own problems and why would we be supporting one's problems over the other um and i know probably ukraine's problems are not well described or put out there Hmm. but they first of all coming from a christian perspective the Ukraine openly supports LGBTQ, mm, which yep. we don't agree with, whereas Russia doesn't. Right. Russia actually says LGBTQ is wrong, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, now, their reaction to, you know, their reaction to that is not appropriate and is not sure. God honoring. But, right. yeah, they, they do. Their standards are higher than the Ukraine. Right. Yeah. And... Also, another an, an, another thing is that they were involved in the the Trump-Russian collusion, where they actually provided false documentation that showed Trump uh, was a part of some Russian collusion wow. event. Ukraine did? The, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Man. Yeah. And so it... And those those are the problems with Ukraine, and not saying there isn't problems with Russia. We the problems with Russia are obvious. They're the ones invading. Them. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, you don't often I hear the other to, side, though. Yeah. Right. 
Exactly. I just wanted to say <clears> that <throat> both are not right. But moving on to my actual headline, I just wanted to first lay that out there in my position on the two countries. But going to my headline is Ukraine agrees to peace talks with Russia. Ooh, yep. Hopefully, this skirmish between Ukraine and Russia doesn't have to go on for mm. much longer. Yep. And let's hope these peace talks go well. And I, I could only hope that this conflict would end and we could stop talking about that. <laughs> yeah, we can move on. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's so. a really good take. Totally agree. Totally agree. Oh, and, and most definitely, I don't think America should get involved. And then and that's yes. kind of the point that I was that I had wanted to make with this is that both have problems. <clears throat> so we shouldn't be going out supporting one's problems wholeheartedly. Yeah. Whole cloth. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And and I'm actually going to be delving into this with my headline as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll let Joe go first, of course. But I do want to also get into a biblical perspective of military and what that looks like. Um, and that actually should change our perspective on not just this situation, but a lot of other situations as well. So, Jake, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that and for, for bringing that extra perspective, too. I mean, we... We can oftentimes get caught up in kind of, you know, what the mainstream narrative is and be mm -hmm. like, oh, it's this versus this. And, oh, they're, they're right. the victims and they're they're great. You know, sometimes when we see a country being attacked like that, we tend to make them out to be, you know, put them on a pedestal and be like, how could they right. do this to such a lovely civilization? It's like, well, OK, yeah, no, the act of Russia doing this is not good at all. And we don't condone that whatsoever. But that doesn't mean we put Ukraine on a pedestal and say that, oh, it's the best civilization exactly. there is. Right. We need to understand both sides. So, yeah, yep. thanks. That's awesome. All right, Joe, take it away. All right. Well, I'm going to take Weatherman Joe for a second. Oh, <clears throat> it's been months since Weatherman Joe's made an appearance. Indeed. So welcome back to the show, Weatherman Joe. Why, thank you. <laughs> the weather outside is pretty nice. Not it's frightful. A, it's it's sunny, and we actually don't have snow on the ground. Okay, back to regular <laughs> Joe. Okay. I just wanted to make mention of something that was the good news and make light of something. Light. Get oh, <laughs> but I'm crash. Where's our drummer? I don't anyway, know. We need um, a drum roll there. Or a, a crash. Um, you should record one. Anyway, <laughs> I, there's just a lot of bad news. Bad, 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 bad. So I wanted to what? make light you of did? something. I thought this was going to be positive. Never. Oh, when is come news on. When is news ever Yeah, positive? that's true. They don't make money from positive stories. No, You're right about that. It's always a bad thing. Yep. You have to dig for the good stuff. Yep. Anyway, how about a good bad stuff? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... One of my news articles is um, called Expect Real Food Shortages Due to Sa uh, Sanctions. Oof. In America? Uh, yes. Wow. So, okay. Um, and then there's a little more. Oh, and sanctions, sanctions never worked in, in this news article. But this came from Biden. Um, <laughs> Fake jo President Biden at it again. Joe Biden admitted that food shortages are going to be real. Because that is the price of the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia over um, its invasion of Ukraine. Well, ain't that interesting? Um, I think there's a lot more than just food shortages just because of Russia. I think the whole yeah. Russian-Ukraine event 
is happening and, and is going to cause food <clears throat> shortages. I mean, we have um, Europe who have uh, shut down and said we're not exporting anything out. We've got Ukraine saying we're not going to export anything out. We've got Russia saying we're not going to export anything out for the simple fact of the big oil um, oil war, if I can say that, say it that way. But Europe needs its oil. Russia needs its oil for their side of the war. Ukraine needs its oil for yeah. its side of the war. And we are dependent on a lot of other places Lovely. that need oil. Yep. And we need oil for our tractors. And a lot of, there's just a lot of other things that have been going on mm. because of this war. And yep. One of the main reasons, or one of the things that is going to for sure come out of this war is it's going to affect a lot of our food products mm. because Ukraine is the highest in wheat. Is it Ukraine or Russia? <clears throat> I, I was looking on the news earlier today, and Russia is, is a higher exporter of our um, chemicals for our crops. Wow. Wow. So... They're not exporting things because they need their resources for the war. Hmm. Yep. And yep. as I made mention on oil, might as well bring this up. Democrats block bill that would restart the Keystone Pipeline boost, uh, boost U.S. energy production. Yeah. It, it's, it's sad to see that the... Um, Congress, U.S. White House Congress, it can't see the reason for us making our own oil. Yeah, we have to go and get it exported, and now we're we're draining our tanks. What's really sad is that they think that they need to be the ones to actually restrict that in the first place. Like they think that they need to be the ones who are in charge of our oil all our resources like that you know like like that's their job from a civil government perspective mm -hmm. and it's we're supposed to go green but the tesla vehicles are expensive yeah they're expensive just to have i was looking at the the new or i don't think it's new but i was looking uh last week for a tesla was it cyber truck Tesla Cybertruck. <laughs> yep. It it is stronger than the F one fifty. There is a video that is proven that it is stronger. Um, it has enough tor or stronger torque. But it, I was looking it up, and it has a. Uh, it costs forty nine thousand dollars just to get. Wow. Wow. That's not to mention the equipment to charge it. I don't think I should take a look at that package if it's a package deal or not. But I just know the ballpark for buying a 2022 Cyber Truck was $49,000. Wow. Yep. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. Crazy stuff. Well, that was a random fact for you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Joe. Mm -hmm. um, seems like we're all uh, Ukraine sent you Russian and Ukraine uh, kerfuffle sh uh, centered today. Um, I want to talk about uh, uh, something that uh, fake President uh, Biden, or at least his puppeteers, uh, did 
I think it was actually this week or, or last week, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, Biden announces new sanctions against Russia and aid to Ukraine. So, Man, you should have gone first. Was <laughs> oh yeah, no, I think I think this is good. You know, we've looked at this from a lot of perspectives. Um, Jake had a really cool perspective, and then you brought in the other the resources, and so mm-hmm. now we're looking at what uh, how f- fake President Biden <laughs> is gonna botch this whole thing up. So here we go. Um, so four hundred new individuals and entities are being added to the U.S.'s Russian target list. These people and entities will now be under full blocking sanctions, whatever that means. I'm sure there's more. I didn't have time to dig into that. There's a lot there, though. This list includes, and here's the quote from, uh, I think it was the Epoch Times that I got this from, list includes 48 state-owned defense companies, more than 300 members of the Russian legislature, uh, and board members and heads of Russian financial institutions. So, yeah. That's uh, that's rather interesting. Additionally, it was announced that the American government is prepared to, and here's the crazy part, prepared to provide $1 billion in humanitarian aid to the Ukrainians and uh, $320 million meant to support societal, uh, uh, societal resilience and defend human rights in Ukraine and neighboring counties. Co- countries, rather. Sorry. Yeah, okay. $1 billion of our hard-earned money, okay, $320 million more of that, all to help another country, which, as we know, is not something that the civil government should be involved in. They are not in the humanitarian business. They are not the, the people who go out and save all the other countries that can't fend for themselves. I mean, that's not their job. They are the justice division of society. That is what they do. They don't do education. They don't go out and give money to other countries. They don't do any of this that's not their job. It's not completely out of the question to think that this whole situation with Ukraine and Russia could potentially lead to a point where various countries end up going to war. This led me to begin diving into what the Bible says about militaries as they relate to the civil government. So I want to talk a little bit, and I'll try and get through this as quickly as I can because I know kind of short on time, but I want to talk a little bit about the biblical structure and policies of the military. So I've, I've done a lot of um, digging into this and a lot of research and listening to uh, various pastors on this, you know, various pastors perspectives on this. And I came up with two conclusions. I spent probably two or three hours studying this and I came up with two conclusions. There's a lot more you could draw, but these I think are the two main ones. One, conscription is wrong. So being forced into the military without your consent. If you don't want to be there, you don't have to be there. And I'm going to back this up biblically. Deuteronomy 20 verses 5 through 8 says that the officers are supposed to ask their soldiers the following questions before going into war. So here's Deuteronomy 20 verses 5 through 8. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard, and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife, and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people, and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. 
And that was Deuteronomy 20 verses 5 through 8. So basically what it's saying here, if for any reason you don't want to be there, if, if you just built a house and you, you want to go back to that house, if you just planted a vineyard and you want to go to your vineyard, if you just uh, took a wife, if you just got married, you know, f- for any reason, if you're just afraid and you don't want to be there, go, leave. We don't want you there. This is voluntary only. You are, this is only on a voluntary basis. Conscription is morally wrong. You do not own those people. The civil government does not own those people. They don't own the, the citizens of their country. They don't get to tell them, you have to fight for me or else. When Israel complained to Samuel about wanting a king, like all the nations around them, God gave them a warning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Honestly, 1 Samuel chapter 8 has so much application to just all sorts of things, but especially to conscription. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God gave them a warning telling them what kind of king, what that having that kind of king, what it would do to them. Um, so this is verses 8 or 11 through 12 of 1 Samuel 8. Uh, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipments of his chariots. Basically, he will treat the citizens like his own servants. He will act like he owns all the citizens and can do with them as he pleases. And that was a warning from God saying, this is what they'll do. This is what you don't want. This is why having God and his word above all else and why running a country based on his word, like the founding fathers tried to do, right? This is why we do it this way. Because if you don't, there will be serious repercussions like conscription. Okay. Second point. Here we go. I wanted to comment. On yeah, go ahead, point. Joe. Um, so the, what was the number that you said about billions of dollars going to the Ukraine? Oh, for the aid? Yes. Oh, way back there. All right, let's yeah. see. That was $1 billion in humanitarian aid and $320 million meant to support societal social resilience. As we're still $23.3 trillions of dollars in debt. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Makes total I wonder, sense. I wonder where we have this money. Oh, they're just made of money, it's, really. It's not like because we don't Because we have it. it, and so therefore, they have it. <laughs> yes. That's my one comment. Thank you, Joe. Indeed. Indeed. So, that was my first point. So, conscription is wrong. Okay, so hopefully we're all in agreement. I think we're all in agreement on that, right? A draft is wrong. We can agree that, biblically speaking, a draft is not a good thing. Sort of. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> cool. Joe's over there, kind of reticent. All right. Mm. All right. I'm just thinking of history back when um, the founding fathers, if you wanted a vote, if you wanted to say, hey, this is my, I want to vote for um, who's going to be running an office, they did say in order to vote, you had to be, what, a um, landowner, and you had to sign up saying that you were. For the state militia. Correct. Now that. That is something different. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's literally my next point. Dude, that was like, dang. All right, there we go. Okay. having Here's point two. Having a large federally run standing army is wrong. I'll repeat that. Having a large federally run standing army is wrong. 
biblically speaking. Okay. Dr. Philip Kayser, and uh, we have his book somewhere. What is it? Oh, here it is. Divine Right of Resistance, right here, Philip Kayser. Um, he wrote, uh, he has a site, and I forget what it's called. I'll have it linked in the description. Look for Philip Kayser. Um, Dr. Philip Kayser has preached multiple sermon series and written multiple articles on a biblical structure and understanding of an army. Uh, one of the many things that he notes is that armies in Israel were split into two categories. I just remembered what it was called, Christian Blueprints. Look up Christian Blueprints. I think it's Christian Blueprint blueprints.com all of his stuff is on there it's a, it's a really good site um okay so so biblical biblical armies in israel were split into two categories okay in one category you had the king's army or the national army okay the national army was extremely small roughly 400 people total and it was only a reserve army so it wasn't out there continuously and on top of that, not only is it extremely small, it's just a reserve. It also only joined up for one month out of the year. Then it was not allowed to, to come together again unless there was a definite emergency and there were specifications for that. Okay, So a lot of restrictions on what this federal military can look like. It's extremely small. It's reserve only. And it only joined up for one month out of the year. Okay, In the second category, however you had a citizen's army, which was not controlled directly by the king and rather served the citizens. Kayser derived much of this from 2 Chronicles chapter 27. Um, additionally, Kayser walks through how the founding fathers of America structured the original armies. Our original armies in America were structured in much the same way. Uh, he lists a quote from Sam Adams, and I love this quote. Sam Adams said, the militia is composed of free citizens. There is therefore no danger of their making use of their power to the destruction of their own rights or suffering others to invade them. So made up of the citizens. And why is that? Because the ones that are here living in this country as citizens on that level, we're the ones who probably care the most about our own rights. Wouldn't you say? Like, <laughs> I don't think the people up in power on a high magistrate, the, the, the grander magistrate, I don't think they care much about our rights because that means they get less money and they have less control. We are the ones who care in this country. We are the ones who care the most about our own rights. It makes sense that we would have the power to say, no, I'm not fighting for you. Or no, I'm not going to go attack those citizens that you want me to attack just because you disagree with them. I think biblically they're correct and I can prove why, right? Uh, in the instance of, of lockdowns, mask mandates, right? If people refused to shut down or if people were en masse not wearing masks, right, or they were getting together in peaceful protests, actual peaceful protests, not 2020 peaceful protests, <laughs> real peaceful protests, the army or the National Guard were in some instances called on those people. In this system, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen because these citizens would say, no, I'm not doing that. I agree with those people. There's no way I'm, I'm not going to let you go after our rights, right? It's so. like the same instance of uh, firearms. I mean, who was it? Thomas Jefferson, I think it was, who stated, let let the people have a tank. Let yeah. the people have <laughs> a, a missile. Yep. Cannon. Yeah. Jet, if they can fund it, obviously. <laughs> but, and then you have Biden turn yeah. around and say, no, we you'd can't need, have. You'd need nuclear jets if you want to fight us. So you can't possibly fight us because you don't have nuclear jets. So we might as well take away your guns, too. It's like... Okay, that makes sense. 
that in some I, weird way. <laughs> it's interesting how I, I'm, it is Thomas Jefferson, right? I'm not positive I'm, on that. I'm questioning myself of who it actually I thought was it was John Adams, but it could have been. Could be just because I, I read his quote. <laughs> no, I read Sam that? Adams here. The guy uh, who uh, they walked out and the citizen said, hey, can I have a gun? And he was like, uh, yes, yeah. a- and a cannon. And, uh, you know, uh, please, we want you to be armed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember who that was, Jake? No, I don't. I remember Benjamin Franklin was the one who said uh, those willing to give up freedom for a little bit of little security speed, yep. deserve neither freedom nor security. Yep. But other than that, I don't, yeah, I don't uh, remember exactly. Uh, my main point was you, you brought something that triggered me to remind, remind or th- come up with the that thought process of. Yeah. Yeah. We, we we should be able to hold our tank. We should be able to hold our gun. Yeah. I don't remember why that came up into my mind now. You said something about... Yeah, well, citizens... I mean, we're talking about this second mm-hmm. style. Citizens' army, right? And the citizens having that. And state militias, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, a, a big part of this is, you know, that there were the 12 tribes of Judah who had their own individual armies that would get together just like we had the 50 we have this 50 states of america and we have you know all of those states would bring their militias together in a time of need right so all right can so, we really honestly say we're the united states no not anymore <laughs> uh we are split on so many ways it is uh it's it's insane but it's interesting how you have to have a federal court or or federal ruling to change a law like yeah the instance with the cakes the baker making a cake i believe that's how um one of the reasons why gay marriage got legalized in the state of south dakota i just remember there was a court case that happened in 2015 that um made gay marriages yep. legal in yep. all states it's it's interesting to me that we have it's it only takes a na a f- national um court case to make it completely legal in the entire country yeah it's pretty crazy pretty crazy stuff and i wish we could chat more about it but we are running short on time so oh man you're telling me we're running short I on time now. <laughs> it's because i talk too long it's it's still my fault joe um, it's always my fault i'm sorry <laughs> i talk too much okay uh, it's because there's so much to say. I can't stop talking. All right. But, you know, I love interjections at any point that you can interject. So, all right. So cut your time, not my time. Yeah, cut my oh, – all right. <laughs> in edit, I get it. In post, cut off my comments. I get you. I think I've done <laughs> no, that no, time no. or two just because it's been so long. I'm like, all right, you spoke too long there, Bruce. See, that's the nice th- thing about editing. I can make those decisions and be like, no, nah, I spoke too long. I, that can go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Jake. Anything you want to add before we move on? Nope. All right, cool. I would be remiss of my duties as host if I did not double check. Cut. I don't want to cut people off. All right. Thank not that you. I've been not that I've been accused of that, but I know one of these days if I don't keep checking, I'm gonna get accused of that. So I have to just constantly be like, "Are you sure you don't want to say anything else?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Okay. Moving on to the literature of the month. Last week with this book. Very sad. We got about, I guess, a quarter, a little over a quarter of the way through this book. <laughs> There's so much there. But this is, uh, we're reading Always Ready by Dr. Greg Bonson. If you're watching us, it's right here on the shelf. If you're not watching us, I'm sorry. Um, our last episode, um, we were talking about some really heavy stuff. So I wanted to take an opportunity this 
episode to kind of break down some of that. I hear Jake wants to do the same. We were all, we read chapters 16, 17, and 18. Chapter 18 was a recap, so I didn't really bring too much in from that because it was really good at recapping, but I didn't feel like we needed all of that. But chapter 17 um, has some crazy cool stuff, and I want to chat about that. Chapter 16 sets it up and kind of builds it, and then finally chapter 17, it's like... Bam! Everything clicks into place. It's super cool. I, I can't wait to get to that. So we're going to start it off by, you know, talking about our first section. What did we find most interesting? And uh, my, my first bullet point, you know, Dr. Bonson talked about how the unbeliever opposes God and his word by creating an entire system for himself to live in. By dismissing the presuppositions of the word of God, the way they look at everything has changed. And we've talked about that this whole time. And we can kind of, we've, we've known that as Christians, but I thought it was really good for Bonson to state that, you know, they've created a whole new platform from which to attack us, right? Because of this, they aren't trying to attack bits and pieces of what we believe. They're going right for the root, right? They're going right for the foundation, the word of God, that's what they're attacking. Now, they may be going from these little angles like, oh, you can't scientifically, you know, all this kind of stuff. But they have a whole system of belief, incorrect belief and, and foolish belief versus the word of God. So we need to keep that in mind. And because of this, we can't just be happy defending one or two of their attacks here or there. Before I go on, you looked like you had something to say, Joe. Did you or? Oh, I was I just going to say it's, it's interesting how each other religion has to try and create or they try to create their own systems system yeah. religion just so that they That's can have the upper hand and then in the end they have to admit there is a creator and then <laughs> um like yeah. darwin is it darwin uh creator yeah. of evolution yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah they he was it him or somebody after him has stated that okay there is a creator that has happened <laughs> so it's always even with all their religions that they're trying to push, trying to create, they always, yeah. they can't. Well, what Do what Darwin said was, I can't actually prove this, mm -hmm. but I hope that future generations can. Mm. <laughs> that was yeah. literally Darwin's whole thing was like, I, I mean, I, I don't want to follow God. I don't, I, I that makes me feel bad inside. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to come up with this crazy Hairbrain idea, and I really hope that future generations can prove me right because I got nothing here. But let's hope that it's right. <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy yeah. how how it'll just fall back, and they they won't be able to, yeah. and then they have to fall back and admit uh, there yep. was one creator. And yep, it was yep. the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, otherwise but, you're just you're just uh, making a making a monkey out of yourself, you know. <laughs> apparently we came out of monkeys right well that's that's my point it's i mean I, I forget where that quote came from but somebody was like evolution is just man making a monkey out of himself <laughs> that's what they're doing it's hilarious it is foolish if we're uh, talking about the biblical definition of a fool now that you say that quote it, it sounds really nice <laughs> well not really nice but it's yeah interesting it's insanity insanity so insane insane you're channeling your inner joe biden insane so <laughs> I was just stay about to say, like, track. stay on time. All right, sorry. <laughs> I was about to say my next bullet point in, like, the whole full-on Joe Biden whisper, like, here's what's happening and why. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that because that's just creepy. All right. You're creepy. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thanks, Joe. So because of this, we can't just be happy defending one or two of their attacks here or there. Okay? As Bonson says on page 67, 
really good quote. Here it is. The Christian can never be satisfied to defend the hope that is in him by merely stringing together isolated evidences, which offer a slight probability of the Bible's veracity, end quote. So did you, did you guys catch that? Like, I thought that was so good. Okay. The Christian can never be satisfied by def- uh, be satisfied to defend the hope that's in him by merely stringing together isolated evidences, right? Stringing together facts here or there, some a few scientific proofs here or there, right? That's not going to work. That's not going to cut it. We can't be satisfied with that. That is going to set up our entire discussion for today. So here we go. So our defense cannot just be scientific facts or little quips here or there. They have to get right at the presuppositions of the unbeliever, okay? We need to answer a fool according to his folly, which we talked at length about last week, in order to show him where his folly truly leads. Okay, before I move on, anyone have anything to add to that? Cool. Nope. All right, so as I've said all month, as we've been saying this whole time, right, we've, we've said this all month, our ultimate standard is the word of God, not science. As we'll be discussing today, this isn't just a mantra or a special phrase we like to keep repeating to ourselves over and over again. This is the result of actually walking through logical and philosophical paths to realize that there cannot be an ultimate standard beyond God's word, besides God's word. Okay, So not science. Science is a tool, but it's not our ultimate standard. We're going to be discussing ultimate standards at the end of today's episode and what that really boils down to. And Joe, I hope this will kind of shed some light as our as our uh, uh, audience advocate here in the studio. Thank Yay. you for signing up for that position. Um, Joe is advocating all of you who may have questions for us about some of these really deep topics. Since Jake and I have kind of studied this stuff most of our lives, we, we're very familiar with Bonson's work and, and a lot of the stuff we're talking about already. So we're not super confused, but... Joe is reading this for the first time, just like many of you there in the audience. So Joe is, uh, has volunteered graciously to be our audience advocate. So thank you, Joe. Um, and I'm really hoping that as our advocate, this last bit is really going to help you understand even more of this. And any questions you have as the advocate of the audience, you can ask us and we might be able to provide an answer. For those of you who have questions about the advocate, it was a very, very hard um... <laughs> process to become the screening process <laughs> yes yes the interview we didn't just pick someone at random you know the like interview the... and the essay and... we we yes. uh made this whole show just for this month and so we screened all of our friends and joe was the only one <laughs> joe was the only one that qualified so he, he made the spot so congratulations well, joe. thank you it's a high honor so <laughs> oh that was good i don't so... feel honored <laughs> well you will in a moment Bonson restates this well on page 68 when he says, here's his quote, the debate between the two perspectives will thus eventually work down to the level of one's ultimate authority. I'm going to restate that because everybody listening to my voice, this is vitally important to understand, okay? The debate between the two perspectives will eventually work down to the level of one's ultimate authority. Does this bring the argument to end in a stalemate? Each person arbitrarily choosing a starting point to his own subjective liking? Not at all. Rather, this situation points up the great need for a presuppositional method of defending the faith, end quote. And we're going to get into what that means in a minute. And I know I'm setting all this up. I'm like, we're going to get to this. We're going to get to this. We're going to get to this. We really are. There's a lot here. Getting to the very root of their belief system rather than simply battling the outlying results of that root or presupposition will ultimately bring us to a place where we are the most secure, the infallible word of God. Okay, get to their presuppositions. Not all these outliers 
not everything out here. Get to the root. Get to the presupposition. Let's fall back on that. And we need to make sure that the root, the presupposition we're falling back on is the word of God. And I'm going to give an illustration in a second that's going to help us understand what we mean when we say these things. Greg Bonson adds further context to this on page 69 when he says, and here's his quote, the apologetic discussion does not end in a stalemate because the Christian, by placing himself on the unbeliever's position, can show it results in the destruction of intelligible experience and discursive thought. If the unbeliever were correct in his presuppositions, then nothing whatever could be understood or known, end quote. An interesting observational point I really liked um, was one of Bonson's statements on page 69. And it, he says, Christ demonstrated that God and his word must be the self-authenticating, indisputable starting point for all thought when Christ, unlike Adam, refused to put the Lord to a test. That's Matthew 4, 7, which I thought was really interesting. You know, he kept saying, it is written, it is written. And then he fell back on, the, you don't put the Lord your God to, to the test, right? He fell back on that. He said, this is my, I mean, Christ, this is his word. That was his presupposition in a way, right? It is written. He fell back on the word of God at every point in his temptation. We need to mimic that. We need to do the same. Okay. That was a lot of stuff, but setting up this, this discussion. Um, anything you want to add before we go to this next section that I really think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about? Okay. Nope. All right. So I want to take the opportunity here to kind of pause on what we've been talking about and really discuss some of the interesting observations that Bonson made, particularly as they relate to what we commonly call the laws of logic or logical reasoning. Okay. So in order to understand some of what Bonson's talking about, you really need to understand the laws of logic and how logical reasoning and logical argumentation works. And we need to break that down just a bit. So I'm going to give an example here that's going to help outline some of that. And really what I'm going to try and do right here is sum up everything we've been talking about. This is our last episode, right? With this, with this theme, with this book for now, until we'll revisit this book in the future. But I need to sum everything up. And, and I thought an illustration would be the best way to do that. So Bonson's points throughout this whole book have been fantastic at laying the groundwork for our discussions with unbelievers. Okay. But He's been trying to reframe our mindset uh, when it comes to apologetics so that we are presuppositionally driven and not simply science driven. Does that make sense? We're presuppositionally driven, not science driven. Okay. As Bonson says on page 71, this is a really good quote. Okay. I'm going to keep coming back to this quote throughout the illustration today. Here we go. Page 71. Factual argumentation may become necessary, but it is never sufficient. Okay, I'm going to restate that. Um, and really, like, this is, this is the crux of the, of the matter, right? Factual argumentation may become necessary, right? It might be necessary to bring up some facts, but it's not sufficient, okay? It's never sufficient. What one takes to be factual, as well as the interpretation of accepted facts, will be governed by his underlying philosoph uh, philosophy of fact. Okay, what he's saying there is that what one takes to be, they, they take the facts, but they're always going to interpret it differently than you because of their presuppositions, right? Um, for instance, I could look at a turtle and I could say, wow, God created that turtle with a beautiful design. He gave it a, a shell to protect itself. He gave it um, all of these different features so that it can live and we can see his glory through that. 
the evolutionist is going to look at that and say, wow, ain't that cool that it evolved that way? <laughs> ain't it cool that it must have had some really interesting predators in its uh, uh, genetic history in order to have to create a shell like that? Huh? What a, it's kind of weird. Look at that. Their glory does not go to God. And ultimately, they're not going to be able to explain a lot. I mean, the reason they can't explain most of what's happening with our brain when it comes to our brains is they start from the wrong presupposition. Uh, like Sigmund Freud started from an evolutionary atheistic perspective, came out with some wackadoo theories about how the brain works that most of them we've, <laughs> we've shown are absolutely false and are insane. But why is that? It's because he started from the, the viewpoint that evolution has to be true. And so I'm going to start from that presupposition and go from there. And his theories about the, how the brain works were so far off track. Okay, so factual argumentation may become necessary, but it is never sufficient. We've discussed those two paradigms at length throughout the past three episodes, and there's a good reason for that. This is how we are called to give an answer scripturally. So, so now that we've laid the foundation, let's take some time and look into a few of the details around how some of our conversations with unbelievers might look. First off, I want to start by reading one of Bonson's quotes from 71 and 72. Okay, so what we're about to do is we're about to study a formula that Bonson is going to provide. This is a, a logical, a formula for creating logical arguments. And then we're going to take the, that formula and apply it to an argument and see how it plays out. And that's going to give us kind of an insight into this whole argumentative process, okay? So Bonson says, all argumentation about ultimate issues eventually comes to rest at the point of the disputant's presuppositions. So the, the person, both people, the people who are disputing, it comes to the point of their presuppositions. If a man has come to the conclusion and is committed to the truth of a certain point of view, and we're going to call that P, the letter P, we're going to give it a variable and we're going to say, that's P, okay? They're committed to the truth of a certain view, that's P. When he is challenged as to P, he will offer supporting argumentation for it, and we can call those Q and R. But of course, as his opponent will be quick to point out, this simply shifts the argument to Q and R. Why accept them? The proponent of P is now called upon to offer S, T, U, and V as arguments for Q and R. And on and on the process goes. The process is complicated by the fact that both the believer and the unbeliever will be involved in such chains of argumentation. But all argumentation, all argument chains must come to an end somewhere. One's conclusions could never be demonstrated if they were dependent upon an infinite regress of argumentative justifications, end quote. So, Wow. <laughs> that was like, wow. that was a lot, but really he's, he's describing a fairly simple, fairly simple concept. Okay. So as an illustration, I could be talking to someone who begins a discussion, um, with the primary statement, this is P. Okay. So in following now the formula that Bonson gave, this is P. Okay. The earth is flat. That's, that's, that's our primary statement. Our primary conclusion that this person is, is, insinuating i could then counter with something like what do you mean the earth is flat how do you know they could then respond by now they have to back that up right they've they've offered a conclusion the earth is flat now they have to offer up things to back that up and we call those premises right so now they have to say uh they could say something like i know because when i look down a very straight road it looks flat to me and we can call that q right? That's in Bonson's example. He said Q and R as supportive arguments for P, right? So that looks flat. So we can call that Q. And then um, I might add something like, uh, or they might add something like every time I'm up in an airplane and I look out the window, the ground looks completely flat. 
right? So they've, they've seen the road, looks flat to them, so they think it's flat, and then they're up in an airplane, and from their perspective, it looks flat, right? You know. That's Q and R. So those are like supporting. And again, um, this is just an example, and I'm not saying I agree whatsoever, but this is a fairly easy argument to pull apart, but that's kind of the point. You know, they, they have to offer those supporting arguments, right? That's Q and R. They have to support their, their argument. So uh, I could respond with an argument like, we've taken pictures of the Earth from outer space and can see that it's a globe. But the person that I'm talking to could respond with something like, but how do you know those pictures are real? Have you ever been to space? No one that I know and trusted has ever seen the Earth from that level and can attest to the fact that it's a globe, right? So notice that we've now shifted the argument from the main conclusion, Okay, we, we've shifted our argument here. Um, we've shifted from the main conclusion the Earth is flat to its premises. Now we're debating the premise, well, I've seen it from a plane, or we're now here and it's like, well, I've taken pictures of the Earth from outer space, and now we're debating on that. We've shifted our argument, okay? So we're now arguing about the validity of whether someone has actually ever seen the Earth from a high enough vantage point to say that it's a globe. This is how argumentation works. The argument gets shifted every time supporting premises are introduced, okay? So does that make sense that we're, we're shifting our arguments? We're shifting to different premises. And now we have to offer extra premises to build this up. Eventually, it starts to look like this big net where this has to be true because these things are true and all of these things, they're, they're, they're here. When it comes to the unbeliever, that's really just a house of cards that's eventually going to fall down. But what's at the bottom of that? What's at the bottom of that house of cards? their presuppositions, their, their foundation. Eventually, we have to get down to our ultimate standards. The person I'm talking to would seemingly only believe me if he could see it with his own eyes, right? So it, it comes down to all of these things. What, is, what, are, what was Q and R again? Q and R was, I can see the road and it looks flat, or I'm in the plane and I can look out the window and it looks flat to me. What is that? That that's his eyes. That's his own perception, right? So he trusts that. Then he also said after that, he was like, well, or maybe I was like, hey, you know, we've taken pictures of this of the earth from space and it's a globe. We can see that. And he might be like, well, I haven't been up there. Or how do you know those pictures are true? Or how do you know that they weren't faked? And nobody I know has done that, right? So ultimately his standard is himself. That's his presupposition which is autonomy, right? The point of this discussion is that we all have ultimate standards that we fall back on when discussing, uh, when discussions become circular or we run out of supporting premises. <laughs> we need to make sure that A, our ultimate standard is the word of God and B, we are always ready to give an answer from the word of God. Did that illustration help? Joe, did that kind of um, break that down? You can I say no, so. if it didn't, that's fine too. <laughs> We can talk about it. I, I get the understanding of the argument. Yeah. So. And and I do actually, I have a little bit more of a practical argument at the yeah. end of question three. Um, when we get closer to the end, I kind of want to wrap it, wrap up with it. So it's kind of leaving you and you kind of understand it a little bit better. Sweet. But um, so if you, if hopefully that'll explain a little bit more everything. Yeah. So. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, hopefully also what, what this helped to demonstrate was that our premises, the things that are not our ultimate standard, those things are like 
you can offer them up and sometimes they may be necessary to get you to um, your ultimate standard. Like if we were to debate and I didn't know that there were pictures taken from space, would I be able to debate in this conversation? What Probably do you think? Probably not. Probably not, right? So I, I needed to know those facts. I needed, they were necessary for me to know that, hey, we've taken pictures from space, you know, we've seen this. But also... I need to know that eventually I can work that back into the word of God. And what does God say about that conversation? Right? So does that kind of answer the difference between between our presuppositions, our, our framework, our foundation, and then all these little premises, these little statements of facts here or there that ultimately aren't worth much. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. And why we need to have the Bible, not science as our presupposition. Okay. So, As we begin to wrap up our conversations this month with presuppositionalism, we need to take some time to look at what we mean by the term ultimate standard. So we've been using ultimate standard for a long time, right? But Joe, if I asked you to define ultimate standard, how would you define that? What do you think? As the audience advocate, do you think you'd be able to define it or no? If no, that's fine. Well, no, no, no. If the answer is no, that's good too because... We're about to define it, but I'm okay, trying how about to... You, how about you define it? Okay. Because, uh, you threw me off, off guard and All right. on the spot. Just and... keeping you on your toes. You keeping like you doing that, I do. I do like doing that. It's fun. <laughs> it's mean sometimes. You're mean. <laughs> but, it's, but it can be fun. Um, all right. So, what is an ultimate standard? We know that the word of God should be our ultimate standard as Christians, but what exactly does that mean? The key thing to remember about ultimate standards is that they are what Bonson calls self-evidencing. So that term self-evidencing is really important, which means that they don't need other sources to back them up in order to be true and valid. Okay, they don't need external things to say, yeah, that's true. So then it, then it is true. And if that other thing outside didn't say that this was true, then it couldn't possibly be true in and of itself, right? It has to be self-evidencing, right? If they needed something else to back them up, then that something else would be the ultimate standard. The ultimate standard is the end of the line, right? So if we're talking about science, right? Science is only true as long as the person observing it and and writing it down properly did it correctly, right? Science is observation. It's it's the human eye. It's the human observing it, writing it down, trying to recreate it, writing it down, testing it, from all of that, while it is a process and while it is a tool given to us by God, what is the ultimate standard behind science? It's us. It's, it's people. It's our brains, right? So you couldn't have science if you didn't have the human brain. So what does that mean? Is science the ultimate standard? And if you didn't have the human brain, we couldn't have God. Uh, no. No. Opposite. No. Wrong way. <laughs> I flipped it. <laughs> so I, I was uh, seeing the science human brain I'm God, created, like, hum, God cre- created the human brain which I don't know alright alright I, I, I kind of follow guard. you alright I'm off guard today so the ultimate standard is the end of the line it's where all argumentation has to eventually fall back on okay as Bonson says on page 73 as the very standard of truth against which all other claims must be measured Christ did not rely upon the backing or evidence of others for his teaching, okay? He taught with self, 
sufficient authority. Matthew 7, 29. The divine word is authoritative in itself, carrying its own evidence inherently. So this is really important. Christ did not rely upon the backing or evidence of others for his teaching, right? He didn't rely on them to say it was true. It's true. It's self-evidencing in and of itself. The word of God is true. It doesn't need you to say that it's true in order for it to still be true. It's self-evidencing. While we're discussing ultimate standards, I want to bring up a really good quote from Bonson on page 72. Dr. Bonson says, if argument chains, argument chains must eventually terminate. And if the believer and unbeliever have conflicting starting points, how can apologetic debate ever be resolved? Since there are different primitive authorities in the realm of thought, does apologetics reduce to a blind voluntaristic will to believe? Is the decision for or against the faith a mere matter of personal taste eventually? And this is a good question. Joe, did that, uh, did that kind of make sense? Where we're talking about, you know, is it just a will to believe? Because we've talked about the common, the problem of common ground, right? Mm -hmm. And how we say the Bible is our standard. They say themselves are the standard. Mm. How, what do we do, right? And what this is saying is, since there is a different, since there are different primitive authorities in the realm of thought, does apologetics reduce to a blind voluntaristic will to believe? Is it just I willing? I say that this is the ultimate standard, so now it has to be, right? Which is dogmatism. Mm -hmm. If we remember that from a couple of weeks back, um, the answer would have to be yes. <laughs> if the apologist contended himself merely with arguments and evidences for selected isolated facts. But the answer is no. If the Christian carries his argument beyond the facts and nothing but the facts to the level of self-evidencing presuppositions, the ultimate assumptions which select and interpret the facts, right? When you show that without the word of God, you cannot have wisdom. You cannot have intelligence. You cannot actually account for these things unless you have the word of God. Now, there you go. You found presuppositionalism. The very foundation. You go for their foundation. They cannot attest and account for these things without the word of God. Jake, I think now is probably a good time for you to interject if you wanted to. I've got a few quotes to wrap it up, but I don't have to include those. We can make them a deep dive later in the week if you wanted. So go for it. Cool. All righty. So to wrap things up, giving a um, uh, overall understanding of or a practical understanding of what we're all talking about is uh, I want to use this question in question three to hopefully help some of our listeners who have had a hard time grasping grasping this concept yay i want to kind of go through a debate what a debate <clears throat> would look like using what what we know about presuppositional apologetics and that starts with the atheist making a truth claim now to further go into what i mean by a truth claim is uh is when the atheist presupposes or makes a statement um, of a truth, like one such truth claim being murder is wrong. And so going on with this presupposition of them thinking murder is wrong, of course we know they don't have a standard for saying that murder is wrong, but say they want to say that murder is wrong. Yes. So now they are presupposing <clears throat> that something can be right and wrong, right or wrong, and that is where you ask, well, why is murder wrong? Hmm. 
to which they could bring up a multitude of answers. And then we'll go over three distinct categories. And nice. These aren't the only three distinct. There are multiple different things they could bring up. But I just want to bring these up as examples just so you can kind of understand the flow of how this would go. Um, but I, what I want you to understand in, in these three is that each of these you want to understand what they are claiming as their absolute authority. What we're talking about our absolute authorities, what Bruce was just talking about. But we want to find what they want to consider as their absolute authority. Obviously, they don't consider God in the word of God as the absolute authority. So what are they claiming as their absolute authority? Now, going into these three topics, we're going to talk about government. In answer to the question, well, why is murder wrong? An atheist could say, well, murder would cause you to go to jail, so therefore it is wrong. So, your answer would be then, so then government defines what is right and wrong. <laughs> Meaning, yep. when Hitler, when Hitler um, killed Jews in the Holocaust, he was right, because he was the government authority. Yep. So he is the ultimate authority there, <laughs> right? And that is obviously completely wrong, yeah. and the atheist will obviously see that. Yep. But, again, they're, they're, we're looking at their ultimate authority. Take it to the next level. Take it beyond what they even think. Their ultimate authority, whatever that ultimate authority does, should be considered right. As we know from the Bible, anything God does is right. Because... Yep. He's God. He can't do wrong. That's the same with their ultimate authority. Or it, it should be. and it, But it really isn't if you go through it. We look at our second category. Culture. <clears throat> and again, their answer. Well, the society considers murder to be wrong. <laughs> and your answer to this. Well, if society is the absolute, then if the society says stealing other people's stuff is okay, would it make it okay? Is stealing other Boom. people's things okay? Yep. And then I come to my final one. Upbringing. Hmm. I was taught that murder is wrong. <laughs> well, if your upbringing or your parents are the ultimate authority, then someone who is taught by their parents that murder is okay, then it would be okay. Yeah. Yep. Again, the again that I'm trying to oversimplify this. So in... As long as you understand the idea, starting out, they make a truth claim, right? And then you ask, so then why? Why is that wrong or right? Say they, they say, we support LGBTQ. Why should we support LGBTQ? Why should I care that we support LGBTQ? And then you continue going, and then the next claim that they make is the claim that shows where they are putting their ultimate authority. Yes. And you question that ultimate authority. <laughs> that, you dude. You continue going it further. Dude. And, yeah. So, it, there you go. <laughs> that was fantastic. I, I love that. That that thought exercise was, was fantastic. You, you keep pushing it. You keep pushing it back and back and back. And eventually, you're going to get to their ultimate authority. I love it. That was really well put. Yeah. And, you know, uh, adding to that from, from our discussion with, um, was that last week with, with, uh, with our dad? Um, 
Frank Johnson, um, you know, it boils down to a matter of opinion. Eventually it's all just, well, I, I think, I, I don't think murder is right. I, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like it. And what is that eventually? What, what then is your ultimate standard is, is you, right? Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a really good thought, dude. Thank you so much for putting that together. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So Joe, how we doing? How did we do? Great. We, I we, think we answered some, answer some questions. Did we give the audience some clarity? What do you think? What are your thoughts? I, I after think that? so. I think so. Um, any major takeaways that you didn't consider before? Maybe you need time to like, let it simmer in, but mm-hmm. yeah. was there anything that stood out to you that you were like, wow, I didn't think of that. Not really a thing that stood out, but more of a question of how do you argue with a uh, truth is relevant? So it's oh, that one's easy. <laughs> the 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 person who doesn't believe everything or relative, tr- or, yeah, truth is subjective, not relevant. Yeah, I think that's the right. Not objective. Yeah, yeah, it's and, yeah. it's relative, and that's really what what an atheist believes. And yeah if you really go through what what they're actually saying and what their belief system says mm-hmm. truth is rel- relative truth is subjective yep and but they don't actually believe that hmm yes because if you say truth is relative they make a claim murder is wrong murder is wrong is a truth and then they but they don't actually believe murder is okay right so yeah it's because their belief system does not have any ground. They want to say murder is wrong, right? But according to their belief system, it isn't. Yep. Because really anyone can believe whatever they want. It's all mere opinion. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, and so they live like a Christian, they right, essentially... and, that's, and that's where you come to Romans. What was yeah, it? Yeah, they they know the truth, but they suppress right. it and unrighteousness. Right. Yep, yep, yeah. They they know that it's wrong, but they can't account for that knowledge. They know it. They they it's it's in there inherently. Like you ask anyone on the street, is it okay to murder somebody? They're probably gonna say no. But why? Why is that? Why do you know that? How do you know that? They can't account for that without scripture yeah yep because they could always go back to like you know something i just thought of is like oh well maybe we evolved to know that because we needed to preserve our societies well i might say in the future well maybe maybe we don't maybe we'll evolve to another level where we have too many people and we've evolved to the point where we decide we need to start murdering more people you know you're just up to random chance after all (laughs) you're up to well what's best for the society and you can justify anything to say that, right? Hitler was said that, again, Hitler, here we go. It's, it's so easy to come back to that. And I know it's, it's cliche, but it makes sense. And it's a good example because everybody knows it, right? right? You go back to that. Hitler said it was good for society to kill the Jews because it would make the society better, right? We would have an upper class, a higher class of people. And these people were a drain our society. Let's kill them. That was his you know well if it's for the good of society you can justify literally anything with that perspective so all right 
Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap it up? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, thank you all so, so much. And I'm talking to the audience now. I mean, thank you guys, too, for, for you know, watching, I guess, and sitting here. <laughs> but also talking, you know, talking and, 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 and watching all the, all the things. Uh, but to the audience, they, thank you so much for listening to us or watching us today. We really appreciate it. Let us know you enjoyed this content. Leave us a review um, if you're a podcaster. We really love those reviews because it lets us know that you've enjoyed our content. If you watched us on Rumble, a pro first amendment platform, that's awesome. If you watched us on, like, YouTube, any of those things, like it. Subscribe to us. Let us know that you like our content. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. Send us a message through our website, trdshow.net. We'd love to hear from you. And also, I forgot to mention the CrossPolitik April 7th event. We've talked about that in previous shows, but go to crosspolitik.com slash Liberty Tour, and that's where you'll find the... It's not two... What? Tour? Tour. I'm not. I'm not changing. I'm sorry. It's tour. That's where you'll find the register button for the event. Sign up. We really, really appreciate you to, um, at that event. You'll get to see us in person, which be cool. And until then, we will see you in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord.